You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hello and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Monday, January 31st, 2022. I'm Maggie Lake. And here with me today is Mark Ritchie, Managing Partner and CIO of RTM Capital Advisors. Hi, Mark. How are you? Good, Maggie. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. And and once again, an action-packed day with a lot to talk about. U.S. stock markets um, rallying right into the close uh, here to close out the month of January. The Nasdaq um, up, I think, as it's still sort of settling, up almost three and a half percent. I mean, we saw this really big surge, like right in the last hour of trade. Russell up, S and P uh, green across the board. But let's remember, this is capping off a really painful month, um, especially for some of those tech names. And I think we're all wondering as we watch this, Mark. By the way, the VIX also down ten percent in this. I think we're wa- looking at this and wondering, is this the bottom? <laughs> sure. The bottom in. Have we seen right, the right? Do we have a bottom? So good news, bad news. Which do we want to cover first? The bad news, in my view, is we're already in a cyclical bear market type correction or bear market environment. I uh, can get into the specifics of kind of why I think that is, and this is potentially a move I've been looking for for months. The good news, though, is that it last Monday looks to be a pretty key technical low for the short term. So, And today's move and bounce sort of should have been expected after we had what looked like at least some short-term capitulatory lows. And this is, yeah, it's a month, you know, maybe a little bit of month-end window dressing but or short covering. Uh, I didn't look at the final volume runs today. I don't think volume was that impressive. But mm-hmm. this is sort of expected. So the question, where do we go from here? And what are the sort of the key things uh, to look at, technically speaking? I can get into those in any which. Yeah, or- let, let, well, let's dive in. Why, why do you think this? we're already in a cyclical bear market? Well, the, the percentage of stocks that are already well below their long-term averages uh, and I've been talking about this really kind of got to go back almost six months. But if you look at the advance off the COVID lows in March, we had a whole group of stocks, uh, the stay at home names, uh, that entire area of the market that led, those actually topped early last year. Then that was followed by other risk assets that topped, say, spring into midsummer. You could throw crypto as well into that group. Uh, But some of the other enterprise software type names, some of your higher flyer, but with earnings on the table started to top. And then you had your payments and sort of the last of the tech ones go in the fall. And then that was followed by mega cap tech late last year and then into January. And then we saw sort of the overall market break. So the number of bulls in the herd has been deteriorating for months. And I highlighted this, I think, in the fall, saying if that doesn't improve and markets go higher, which is sort of what we had in, in the small caps, you had the, the IWM try and break out and fail. Mm. And 
Then we had sort of significant technical damage done. That the, the small caps are already in a bear market. They're off over 20%. IWM, you're talking about Russell, I, right? Yeah, sorry, yes. Um, and then if you look at the NASDAQ, I mean, Monday's low was something like 19% on the composite. Uh, so, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't use the 20% bogey. I look at the, the, the deterioration we've seen under the surface is what you see in bear markets. So if it walks like a duck and sounds like a duck, it is one as far as we're concerned. And if mega cap tech trades poorly, even through say the rest of the earnings season or starts to make new lows, I think you'll see last week's lows go, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to go meaningfully lower. I'm just saying right now, the preponderance of evidence is that we're already in that sort of cyclical bear market correction. Um, Where we go from here, there's a couple of things I'd be looking at. And some of the signals, you know, in terms of last Monday are, I think, significant, at least in the short term. And we can get into that if you like. So so you I want to just step back to something that you just said, which is um, so even if that level holds, it doesn't you don't see a bounce. You, you, what, what happens from here? If, well, if, if this is not the bottom, do we bounce along the bottom? Are we looking at another leg down? Certainly. And of course, these are, these are the questions everybody wants to know, right? So if you look at last Monday, it was sort of a classic short-term capitulatory low. And what I mean by short-term is d- certainly days, hopefully weeks. Could it be the ultimate low? Of course. That's why uh, there's a number of things you should watch, but just sort of to highlight, you had the VIX uh, hit nearly 40. You had put call levels hit the highest uh, since uh, March or April of 2020. And for those who you know aren't familiar, that just means you know plenty of people either outright hedging or outright making short bets. When the preponderance of participants are making those bets, they don't pay off. You know, when everybody rushes for insurance at the same time, you're not going to need it. It's when you don't have the insurance that uh, that often the market is most vulnerable, at least in the short term. Uh, we also had, you know, some sentiment measures hit pretty bearish levels. AAII uh, bear reading was over 50 percent. Last time that happened was at the COVID lows. Last time before that was at the lows in Q4 of 2018. Now, so often people will go, I guess, you know, throw caution to the wind and start buying. Here's the other part. I haven't bought really anything meaningfully yet because I'm not one to just try and catch falling knives. The point being, when you see a a momentum technical low like we had last Monday, you want to look at that as sort of a, a key measure of market behavior. So if we retest those lows, which markets often do that are basing or trying to put in lows or a range, you want to see, does volatility hit new highs? Hmm. Does sentiment uh, go to new lows? Uh, or does it, this is where you want to look for convergences uh, or divergences, excuse me, uh, in the market. So a, a classic one would be what, if a market start, has made a momentum low and then starts to make or challenge those prices, where is momentum trading, relatively speaking? So often meaningful lows, if you look at this in, in some of the classic bottoms that aren't just a V-shaped bottom, you will see that what usually happens is prices will often make or retest or make incremental new lows, but volatility does not confirm those, saying mm-hmm. that, hey, the worst of it is over. 
Again, I wouldn't throw caution to the wind, but this is also where you'll also see certain areas of the market will trade much better than the general market. And that's what I'm most interested in. So let's say that Monday's lows are retested in a month or a week or maybe even three months. Uh, depending upon you know the outlook for the economy and the Fed, you know we could be in a range here for a while. But I want to see then what groups of the market are not making new lows. That's going to be the key and the tip off to say these are the areas of the market you want to focus on, or this is going to be the potential new area of leadership in the market. The yeah. only area I'm seeing right now that is held up extremely well is oil. Yeah. But if the market is going to make a meaningful advance over the next you know, three, six months, you're going to need more than one group. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because we've been we've been getting earnings coming out. And even when it seemed in the beginning, even when the earnings reports looked pretty good and there weren't any real bombshells in the guides, there, it, there's nothing that could make investors happy. Everything, nothing seemed good enough. Then you got Apple and that changed a little bit. Uh, and we have big tech earnings coming out this week, including Alphabet, Meta, Amazon. I mean, some of the gorillas out there. Does that matter? Uh, you know, and, and even if they're good and stabilized, is is that the kind of leadership that would matter? Like, what what what? Where else would you be looking for? Hard to think it's the first ones that that turned for you in that bear market because they were really the, that stay at home play. They're really beaten up down a lot. W what are you looking at? Is it fundamental? Is it purely technically driven? Well, right now, obviously, the response to the earnings is going to be important. So Apple obviously was a feather in the bull's cap. And sort of buoyed the market. Apple is is listen. It's it's the largest percent in terms of the index itself. So that positive response was very helpful. But ideally, even let's say let's say that the remainder of the mega caps trade well post earnings, the market will will continue to bounce. But you want to look beyond that. If they're the only things holding up the market, uh, that's not a very robust advance. That's kind of the point. So when when mega cap tech really started to roll over, that's when you saw the general market get hit while a lot of the other smaller components of the market had been selling off and trading poorly for weeks or months. I mean, right now, I think I checked less than 20% of stocks in the NASDAQ are trading above their 50-day moving average, uh, which tells you even about everything is short-term oversold. Mm. Uh, we need to see that number drastically improve. Uh, you know, 80% of the market is trading below its its short-term, you know, average. That's just an indicator of the weather, you know, yeah. to say like it's it's been raining pretty hard for the last for the last week or two. Uh so but let's say hypothetically speaking that you know the mega cap tech earnings are do not uh go well in terms of you get sell-offs in, in Meta and Amazon and some of these other areas. I would expect the market to challenge the lows from last week. And this is my point uh, I was making earlier. This is where we want to see then, does volatility confirm that move? 
Are there mm-hmm. other areas of the market that hold up well relative to mega cap tech? Are there, uh, or do we just splinter apart? If volatility makes new highs and the markets cannot find their footing and we just blow through last week's lows, it tells me we've got further to go here. Yeah. Uh, the worst thing a market can do is, st- is, is be oversold and stay oversold because there's just no buyers. The same thing. The best thing a market can do is continue to stay overbought. It means that there are lots of sold out bulls who need to get in. Right now, it looks, uh, it looks like I said, Monday looks important. So I want to see um, how, how hard do we bounce from here. Today's rally was a good step in the right direction. I'd also like to see some accumulation come into the market. What I mean by that is above average volume to the upside on larger updates. Yeah. I want to bring in this question from Lynn, because it's exactly what you're talking about. Lynn on the exchange, uh, January 24th had one of the biggest net hedge fund buying days in the last five years. January 24th, last Monday, that that you're all talking about. Latest uh, CFTC non-commercial net long positioning, uh, 211,855 contracts. Markets up again today. Question, is this a bear market rally? Are you paying attention to that hedge fund buying? Does that, does, that, does that give you any kind of indication? What do you make of that? Well, my guess is it's probably active managers, potentially, who are seeing at least a short-term low, like I was saying, in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, I think of hedge fund buying, most of those guys are active, tactical. Um, it, it could also be, of course, people adding long-term positions to their book as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, that's something we're watching. So that's where I'm saying... I think Monday's lows are key to watch. Look, we may never, we may never even retest them. There's your, if if that's a you know a V-shaped bottom, that has been one of the trends. Uh, and given some of the negative sentiment, that could be the case. But either way, uh, I would be, I would be increasingly surprised given how oversold we are if we just vault to new highs from here, mm-hmm. uh, because we we went severely below the 200-day moving average. Most historical precedents would say when you come off this much, say in the NASDAQ, you're going to need to do a little bit of base building first. So even if the low has been met, I'm, I'm saying the preponderance of evidence says there's a quite a bit of overhead supply over the market. So I want to be waiting and watching. The best setup, though, may, may not be for one to two months. Yeah. Uh, I'm, willing, I'm willing to wait uh, to see the balance of evidence that says, hey, not only do we have a momentum low, now we're seeing certain areas of the market trade better relative to the index or to other groups. Now we're seeing accumulation start to you know, firm up and not just evidence of a bottom, evidence that the wind may be strongly at our back again. And we can get into, I think the market needs to, to figure out some of these things in terms of Fed policy and inflation. Yeah, yes. As, as well. Three letter word that, that we cannot have a conversation about any of it without bringing up the Fed because there is such a wide uh, sort of range of forecasts out there, pretty severe disagreement about the outlook for both inflation growth and Fed policy. I wanna I wanna play a clip though, Ad, before we we get into some of the specifics. Um, I think that kind of underscores you know, the debate that's going on. Alfonso Pecatiello sat down with Cullen Roche, who talked about the prospect of sustained higher inflation. Let's have a listen to what they said. To me, this is the most valuable lesson when you compare 2008 and the financial crisis response to the current environment. It becomes abundantly clear 
who the real money printer was. Because now we're seeing real tangible signs yes. of inflation in the real economy. And you have to sit down and ask yourself, well, what's the difference between what the, the Fed and the Treasury are doing today versus what was happening in 2008, 2009? And the, the big difference is what I was talking about earlier, where the government in the last two, three years has run $7 trillion worth of, of deficits in essence. And versus in the 2008 period, we the, the Recovery Act was, it seemed big at the time, but in comparison, that thing was like $795 billion yeah. or something like that. And that full interview is available on Essential Plus and Pro Tiers. Um, and Mark, this is very much the debate we're having. And, and I'll tack on to Colin saying that, you know, there were headlines today. I don't know if anyone saw it in several of the papers about rents being up by 30 percent in some cities. It was it was from a Fed survey done. Um, you know, that kind of feeds into this idea that maybe even if it has peaked, inflation may stay at this higher level. Rents lag when they show up, too. So, you know, the argument is that we haven't even started to see that hit the data and hit the tape. Um, so wh where, where do you come down and what what you're expecting from the Fed? Um, 50 basis points in March. Is it going to be as aggressive as the market seems to think? Or do you side with those who say it's a little too soon to say that we're going to have to see how the economy does? If you're going to put a gun to my head, I would. And I know I, you try to stay agnostic about this, Mark. I know you try not to, to sort of really watch what the markets tell us as opposed to the pundits. But but you've got to have a view on it, I would think. Certainly. Well, you know, as a general rule, I think if you if you spend your time watching markets versus pundits uh, and your goal is to make money in markets, you should you should be doing that. However, um, what I would say is if I have to take a stance, I am very skeptical of the five to seven rate hike narrative. Uh, I think if you were if you were to press me hard on it, I would say some of this is an overreaction potentially to, yes, some of the data prints, but even potential political pressures. Mm. Um, the reality of what you just cited, though, in terms of, say, large increases in rents, large uh, increases in people's cost of living, standard of living, if you will, it's an effective, uh, this is an effective tax hike uh, that, that nobody thought was, I shouldn't say nobody, but certainly your average uh, person who has to go to the tank and go to the grocery store and pay their rent is poorer than they were a year ago. Well, yes, this is an economic problem, and it will be if it continues to persist. Uh, but it's also a major political problem, which we could get into because I, I do have something that I think people should be looking at going into the midterms. But right now, yes, my view is to watch closely because I think the Fed is a little bit backed into a corner because. They have, of course, they have a dual mandate. But for the first time in how long, it seems that one side of the mandate is actually showing up. You know, there's been yeah. no inflation for how long? A long time, or at least that's meaningful. Where they have to, if if not, at least give lip service to it. Potentially, um, jawbone the markets and start making movements. So, look, there, there's two scenarios on that side. One is the inflation is going to persist, and the Fed is behind the curve. If that really is the case, meaning that we're going to see five to seven rate hikes and the Fed is still behind the curve, there I don't see how the equity market uh, does not go lower or continue to go lower. 
because the Fed is is going to introduce competition for stocks that it has not seen in a long period of time. And what I mean by that is rates. If you look at, say, the average yield, even average yield of dividends compared to, say, T-bills since 2009, it has been positive, positively tilted towards equities yep. for over a decade. So if we're talking about a massive reversal in that dynamic, I don't see how you can that would that would push me towards the secular bear market camp. Meaning if that is if that is where these drivers are headed, uh, we're going to see continued pressure in certain areas of the market, especially uh, high growth, retail oriented, uh, anything that has been driven on the promise or speculation of future earnings is going to be sold in favor of that business, which is already built and producing earnings because it's a simple calculation of replacement costs. Who is going to want to invest their money in something where the business hasn't been fully built out and the cost of building that business is going up every month uh, versus the business and the equipment that already exists and is yielding, uh, Returns that makes with sense. The, with the with the and and Martin, I hope this. I think uh, Mark has already partially answered your question. He's asking if Fed funds rate go to two percent, how low will the S and P have to go in that case? I might tack on. Does that make the Nasdaq more vulnerable in this case uh, because maybe there are more companies that you know um, are are counting on future earnings? Um, you know, how would you how, how in the market do you position for that? Yeah, yeah, I think I think it will be exactly what we've seen, but probably everything goes lower. So mm-hmm. it, it, Russell has been the weakest, followed by the Nasdaq, and then the Dow and S and P the strongest. Uh, well, if you think about that, that's yeah, the, the, that's exactly what we'll continue to see. So Russell will go down, you know, take off another I don't know ten fifteen percent of each one. Um, I am skeptical of that view because. Uh, I think at some point the Fed is going to have to manage the other side of the trade. So let's say the reason I'm also skeptical of that is uh, I think some of the inflationary impulse is due to the the massive amount of reflating of the economy that took place. If you look at some of these ISM or you look at the ECRI cycle work, you had this largest boom bust cycle, you know, in the history of the sample. Because we shut down the whole planet and then we restarted it all. Now, of course, the Fed poured gas on, you know, and the government in terms of different stimulus poured gas on some of the reinflation in certain areas. But as that comes off the boil, I would, again, expect some of this to naturally ease. Yeah. Now, if that happens, and let's say the Fed only has to go 25, 50, maybe 75, and then you see that inflation come off or start to really ease, I think then you will see another rotation the other way, a potential uh, hard bottom in the equity market. And and again, the market is forward-looking. So I think the market is looking out three months right now going, "Mm, we don't know. Uh, We don't know where inflation's going to be, and we don't know where how aggressive the Fed's going to be. Which and we've seen that in the bond market, haven't we, uh, Mark? And Angela on the exchange has an excellent question point. If the Fed hikes at 20, if you if you if you say, okay, they're going to do it five times, if they hike 25 basis points at a time, they can only do it two and a half times before they invert the yield curve. 
And I know that's something you're watching for too. Should we pay attention to that? You know, why is that important? What does that tell you for people who may not watch the bond market? And it's something the Fed would be uncomfortable with, I think, right? Certainly. So the inverted yield curve to me is one of our sort of primary markers we would look at for a bear mar- a, a more longer lasting or severe bear market. If you look at sort of the classic bear market drivers, inverted yield curve or persistent inflation uh, are, are two of them. So absolutely. However, it's not a great timing mechanism. Uh, if you look the last time the yield curve inverted, I think it was six to nine months before we really had kind of that economic issues and a, and a bloodbath in equities. Now, some people have argued, well, that would have never happened without COVID. You know, others would say, well, the market was sniffing out eventual, you know, problems and, uh, and troubles. I'm not going to, it doesn't matter to me. I'm just saying, listen, that is that, is that uh, smoke detector going off potentially months ahead of time saying, mm-hmm. listen, we're in an environment where the, the economy is going to be more susceptible to recession, uh, which means equity prices are also going to be much more vulnerable. Right now, at least say twos and tens, we're not you know, anywhere close to being inverted. Uh, but you know, stay tuned. We can talk again in, uh, in two months, and we may have a very different picture there. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, that's right. And as we ha- as we're in this period of uncertainty, um, added to that, and something we want to make sure we put on everyone's radar, is not just uncertainty about the number one economy in the world, but the number two really important economy in the world, and that is China. Um, you know, we're coming to Chinese New Year, Beijing, um, and there's a possibility that Chinese officials may go very quiet during that period. Thankfully for us, our Weston Nakamura is not going to be silent, and he sent this report on what we need to be aware of and watch in that space. So first of all, there's going to be further supply chain complications. The world's factories and ports are going to be completely shut down. Now, also note that authorities have been uh, urging some factories to stay open and like encouraging workers to keep working. Um, and they're paying subsidies of you know additional pay in some cases. Also, property sales. Chinese New Year is a seasonal period of strong property sales. People go home, they purchase new property. This will need to be closely watched as new home sales data once again seeing month-over-month double-digit declines at a time when developers uh, and their creditors are in dire need of cash flows and authorities have eased conditions to buy. So a continued decline in demand during the seasonally strong period could be devastatingly bad. And then, of course, the Olympics themselves, namely the opening ceremony in which Russian President Vladimir Putin will be there in person and meeting with Xi Jinping in person. This is of obvious significance with regards to like the Ukrainian geopolitical crisis, and this will also be a very selective, you know, sort of press coverage. So that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, again, we don't know. What we don't know. Uh, over this period, we might even see a relief rally in risk assets um, due to a lack of like kind of negative news headlines. But just be very careful if any such things should happen. Um, just because things are quiet from headlines doesn't mean inactivity. 
silence is not quiet, and vice versa. Uh, and that's it. All right, thanks. Great tip from Weston there on watching any rally that might come out in that period, you know, maybe not indicative of what's really going on. We know the Chinese are concerned about their economy um, and and are potentially going to stimulate it. Of course, there's, as you mentioned before, Mark, a lot of political pressure here about you know, more focused, I think, on inflation and what to do with that, because of what we we're talking about before. Um, how is that fiscal scenario here going to play into the markets? Are you watching that? Is that something we know? We heard Colin talk about it in relation to inflation. Um, what are you looking at in terms of the sort of fiscal political angle here? Yeah, my view on the current political situation is uh, a little nuanced in terms of, I, I think right now, we're in what can the Dems get done mode before midterms. And, and what, I, what I'm looking at, and, and I want to be careful so people don't take this as necessarily political statements, but what I'm watching in terms of the market and then studying a few past historical precedents. So listen, regardless of who, who wins or, or whatever, I, I'm saying what has happened in the past? And then what are we looking at right now? I think based upon what I'm reading and seeing and people I'm talking to both connected to Washington and outside that there is a potential large turnover in the offing coming in November, meaning the House and the Senate are going to potentially go red. Right. Uh, and I don't think that's an outlandish claim to make given just sort of the state of certain things. If you look though at what happens historically, one, either in conditions of gridlock or a large swing towards the Republicans. It tends to be bullish risk assets. Now, mm -hmm. if you, 2010 was the last example. And in that case, you had a pretty large swing for people that remember that was sort of uh, the rise of the Tea Party and whatnot. That was while you had a sitting president in Obama who was actually quite popular. And we had a large move. I'm saying the current sitting president is not nearly as popular so I, I would anticipate the markets are, are going to price in gridlock, which means political risk will go way down. Mm. There will be very little fears and risks surrounding that. The other periods to study would be 94 and 82. Um, and in all three of those, it's not a massive sample size. You see the market was sniffing that out ahead of time. There was a short sort of digestion period around the election, and then significantly higher uh, prices, say, in risk assets. So I would think that would be bullish for potential NASDAQ and, say, crypto-type markets. The question will be, when is the market, if that's going to happen, when does the market start sniffing that out? And what levels are we trading at beforehand? Meaning if we yeah. go lower first in the offing. Yeah. That is a potential bullish driver I think people should be, be looking for in the second half of the year. And the timing may coincide with having a lot more clarity on what's happening with the economy and rates. I, I do want to ask you about oil because we sort of started out talking about that being the one sector, you know, that had been leading. Um, but we need more to join in. Oil's had a big move. I mean, uh, I think the one of the biggest in decades. Up, I think it was seventeen percent just in January. Um, what what are you anticipating there? Higher prices. Uh, I mean, really? Well, From listen. here, how much more upside? Well. This is where, uh, historically for me, commodities have always been more of a trade than an investment. And the reason is, uh, one, I'm not an expert, so I, I treat them as more rentals, uh, you know, where I'm looking to rent commodity exposure rather than invest in it. 
But if you look at the action in oil and oil-related stocks at the beginning of the year, take something like the XLE, it is obvious that managers came in and were overweight, say, mega cap tech and way underweight oil because they started selling their mega cap tech and tech-related uh, issues and buying oil and oil-related names. If you look at the relative strength of, of stock groups, oil and oil-related names is number one and it's not even close. And last Monday is another good indicator. The market came on, was puking positions on last Monday. Managers selling all kinds of things. Oil came off the boil for a day or two, and then immediately into new high ground. That tells me that is that is the most bullish indicator I have. When the weight of the market can only hold something down for a day or two, it's that classic beach ball you're holding underwater. The minute that pressure comes off, it's going to come and, and move to new highs. The only caveat is this situation with Russia and Ukraine. Is the oil market pricing in larger premiums there? And should, say, uh, you know, peace talks or the idea that that situation de-escalates, will we see oil sell off? Even if that happened, I would argue based on at least the technical action, it's Probably a, a viable dip in the short run. So I don't see, there you go. yeah, I don't see that slowing down at least in the short run. And we are going to end on that bullish note. I, I love, I love to do that. Mark, thank you so much. So much great material and so much to think about. We so appreciate appreciate your time today. Thanks, Maggie. Thanks, Real Vision. Yeah, we of course appreciate all of you watching. I'll be here tomorrow with Tony Greer. You know, we're going to talk a little bit more oil, of course. As always, the conversation continues on the exchange. Take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.